Buenos días. Bienvenidos. Bienvenidos a la mañana de Pascua, donde los creyentes de donde quiera se reúnen como una familia global. Cristo ha resucitado. Es cierto, ha resucitado. Aleluya. Este es el día que el Señor ha hecho. Regocijémonos y alegrémonos en él. Jesús dijo, yo soy la resurrección y la vida. El que cree en mí, aunque muera, vivirá. Y todo el que vive y cree en mí no morirá jamás. Es cierto, ha resucitado. Good morning. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he lives, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Thanks be to God. He is risen indeed. All right, go ahead and grab a seat if you don't mind. And again, we continue to point you back to your worship guide. And so we'll do that again. Uh, you should have today's scripture on the front side of, of the bulletin. And so go ahead and grab that. We will take some selected verses here from Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 says this. And every priest stands daily at his sacrifice or at his service offering repeatedly in the same sacrifice which can never take away sin sins but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from what time until his inner enemies should be made a footstool from his feet for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Verse 17, then he adds, I will remember their sins no more and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there will no longer, uh, there is no longer any offering for sin. And then on in verse 22, it says this, let us draw near with a full heart, a true heart and full assurance of faith. As we were singing the song and singing um, death by death and, and Jesus is conquering sin and death. And it says, oh, and it says we awake and those types of things. Um, I was reminded of my four-year-old. This is not my note, sorry. This might be my, one of many tangents today. But I was a member of my four-year-old who would walk into my 14-year-old room every morning and he goes up to her bed because teenagers sleep too long and those kinds of things he would walk up and he'd go Tennedy Tennedy her name is Kennedy Tennedy Tennedy awake wake up Kennedy and then as he, he would get in the bed with her roll over her hit the wall roll back over her and then jet out of there and that's their morning routine but Tennedy Tennedy awake and if I am emotional thinking about a little four-year-old waking up a teenager from a night's sleep. How much more is it glorious and amazing and perfect and good that Jesus Christ has come by our bedside when we are simply asleep and we are dead in our sins and he jolts us awake and he says, awake, arise. This is Easter morning and that is the message that has come to us is that Jesus has made us alive. This morning cannot be about getting a few facts straight. Some of us in here have been around church for a long time. 
But it's more than just getting some facts right or getting some things straight or knowing a little bit about our Bibles, right? Even though that's good and, and, and okay, Easter has to be more than that. Easter has to be more than putting on a suit or a collar or coming into a service like this and gathering in something like this. This is good. We all, I'm so glad that you are here. We've been praying for you. We don't even know who you are, but we've been praying for you that God would bring people into this space to hear God's good news. But it's got to be more than just being in this space here now. It has got to be a conversation. A conversation that you have to have with your creator, with God himself. In fact, in all of our hearts, we believe that there is a longing, a, a pull of your heart towards something else, some kind of pull that will actually be stronger than all facts and, and just and getting dressed up. Take, for instance, let's just say that you are a parent, and you're a parent who's standing over a deathbed of one of your children. I know that this is so because some of you, as parents, have stood over a deathbed a bed of, of one of your children. Or if you're a child having to stand next to a deathbed of your mom or your dad. I know that's true because some of us in here have stood at that deathbed. Maybe you're a spouse and you've had to say goodbye to your spouse. In your heart, there's a longing. And in your heart, there's pain. And in that moment, there is a true understanding of loss. Like we are about to say goodbye to someone I love and I know. And in that moment, what your heart is longing for and what your heart is actually telling yourself in this entire world is that this place is broken. That something ain't right with this world there's nothing wrong with pain and there's nothing wrong with loss. Those are real things and those are good things. But they're telling something very true that this place is broken and we are meant for something else. In the same way, if you and I walk alongside a journey with your teenagers who are addicted to something that this world has to offer. Or maybe you have a spouse that's addicted to something that this world has to offer. Every time that you wake up as a mom or a dad or every time you wake up from a binge of some sort, there's some kind of shame and there's some kind of guilt that, that makes its way into your heart. That pain, that guilt, that shame is your declaration to yourself and to the world that there is something wrong. There is something broken with this world. If anybody wants the world the way it is, raise your hand. No one no one wants the world the way it is. We all have this longing for something better, for to have something complete, something beautiful that, to come alongside of us. And so what does the, the scriptures tell us? What is important? Or what are the things that we naturally lean on? If you look in verse 11, you see that there is something that we just naturally kind of go to in, in these moments. It's this fact that we want to do more or actually be more. There's these men called priests, and they sacrificed. But what is the word in chapter 11, or verse 11? It says, and they sacrificed repeatedly, over and over and over and over and over. 
Their effort was to come and to do something more for God over and over and over to make another sacrifice for another sin, but they would have to come back the next day and do it over and over and over. This much I know, that when you feel this pain or if you feel the loss or you feel the shame, the first thing that we try to do is we long to do more or to be something different, to try to cover over these things. Verse 11 says, effort. Even religious effort can only take you so far. Effort. Even religious effort can only take you so far because you have to do it over and over and over again. And so we are built to perform. We try to do something to try to make ourselves feel better or add to this equation. There's this book that I've been reading. His name is Witold Szablowski. That's a Polish name, if you didn't know. And so he's writing this book about the fall of communism, and he's using an interesting uh, analogy. You see, for hundreds of years in Bulgaria, there are these gypsies, and the, what the gypsies did was that they would train these bears how to perform. And so they would spin, they would actually bring these bears into their living quarters. They would actually bring them and they would become a part of their families. But since they were just a little cub all the way until they grew up, these gypsies would teach these bears how to dance or how to literally come and give you a bear hug. For tips, a bear would come and give you a massage or act like a political figure or some sports, whatever. It was an amazing, amazing fact. But with the fall of communism, uh, the, the dancing bears actually had to go away. They, the communists uh, or the free market said that there can't be any more dancing bears. That's, that's harassment to the animals and those types of things. And so in the early 2000s, the dancing bears became illegal. They, then what are we going to do with all of these bears, right? There's, there's, there's dozens of them, maybe even hundreds of them. What are we going to do with them? Well, they sent them to a wildlife refuge, and they wanted them to be free. Well, what Witold Shablowski says is that you could go and visit one of these refuges even today. And if you're walking along the woods and you came across one of these grizzlies, one of these grizzlies will literally get back on his back feet and start to dance. These bears were meant to be free. They're meant to catch salmon with their hands and rub up against the back of a tree or something. They're supposed to be bears but they're still trapped. They're still trapped in this idea that they were meant to perform. They're meant to, their only good and their only worth was to, to come and get tips for their master. You and I know what dancing bears are about because you and I, we like to perform. Or maybe we think that we have to perform. And that's the way God will be approved of us or be pleased with us if we do enough good things for him. That is not true. That's not true because our effort, even religious effort, can only take us so far. So whatever it is, it may not be an addiction. It may not be a loss or grief. But whatever it is, you want it to end. Whatever it is in your life that is distracting to you, where you are finally telling the truth that this place is broken, whatever it is, you want it to be gone. And that it is your declaration that this place is broken and you want so much more. For me, I have insecurity issues. I wish that insecurity would go away. I wish it would end. I'm overly self-conscious. Even now, overly self-conscious. 
I wish that it would end. I wish it would have a death. I too have performance issues and I get on my back legs and I dance. Maybe you do too. So whatever it is, we know that there has to be more to this life. We continue to read in our passage and we find out there is truly better and greater news. That it is more than just the sacrifice of, of priest over and over and over. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifice over and over and over. And there's a hard comma which can never take away sins. Our problem is that we have, we have a sin problem and we know that our effort, even religious effort, will not do. But then there's a great conjunction in verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. That is Easter. Welcome to Easter Sunday. It's no longer about the sin and the presence of sin. This morning, Easter, where we all celebrate and we stand and we sing and we praise, Maybe we fall to our knees in humble adoration. Maybe we just sit still because we have nothing to say. But this day is this conjunction. But Christ has done something that we cannot do. He came once to sacrifice once for us. That's what Easter Sunday is all about. That is our declaration that our two greatest enemies, sin and death, have been accomplished through the work of Jesus where we repeatedly, on and on and on and on and on and on, it goes and we get exhausted. Jesus was literally exhausted once for our sake. And so this is Easter because we know that without this resurrection, without him accomplishing this, without the sacrifice and sitting down at the right hand of God, we know that without resurrection, there is no defeat of sin, amen? We know that without the resurrection, we know that there's no victory over sin. Amen? Thank you. We know that without the resurrection, there is no hope that the evils of this world will be put in their place and where the enemies of God will be declared enemies rather than getting away with what they're doing. We know without Easter, without a resurrection, that the diseases that are in our, in our homes or in our hearts will never be uh, dissuaded. The cross of Jesus and the resurrection tells us that it was, it was, it was needed. That was what we needed for our, uh, for our major problem, which was sin. Without the resurrection, Jesus would have just died. And he would have stayed in a grave. And he would have been just like every other great man in, or woman in history. And he would have just filled up a page in a textbook. If Jesus had not raised from the dead, it would just have been a sad day. But it would have been a day just like any other. But it's not. For some reason, a bunch of strangers here in East Tennessee have gathered not in the name of a dead man, but a man that we say is now living and seated at the right hand of the Father. We believe that he has literally been risen, that he is raised up and seated next to the Father, given the very seat of glory. And that's why we have gathered. And that's because that, that longing of guilt and shame and loss, that longing is going someplace, that he has done that for us. Quite simply, if Jesus is still dead, then we are wasting our time. But he's not. He's alive. 
There's a book that I've been reading. It's called Doctrine. And in the chapter just entitled Resurrection, he gives some proof that we know for sure that Jesus was still alive. I'd like to uh, talk through a couple of those. Just if you are a skeptic or if you're a seeker or if you're really not sure about this Jesus thing, we would want you to grapple with some of these historical facts. Historical fact number one is that 600, 700 years before Jesus shows up, we know that Jesus' death and resurrection was predicted. And so long before even Jesus shows up as a baby in a manger, we know that we have it in our text that Jesus has been, has been talked about, his, his life and his death and his resurrection before he even shows up. We know that in Jesus' life, that before he dies, before he goes to the cross, he predicts, I'm going to die and I'm going to raise again. So even Jesus, before the actual event occurs, we know that Jesus predicts this. On the day, on Good Friday, the day that he dies, we know that Jesus is really dead. Like dead as a doornail, dead. Because we know that there's a Roman, a guard, who is a professional killer. He looks at him, checks him a little bit, and he declares him dead. So much so that instead of breaking his legs, he actually just pierces his side and just knows that uh, the body, bodily fluids are is already starting to decay. And so he declares, I mean, a professional killer calls him dead. If that wasn't enough, he then gets wrapped up in, in these death clothes. It tells us that Nicodemus comes with 75 pounds of ointment and, and other herbs and, and spices and those kinds of things. And they wrap Jesus in the shroud with 75 pounds. And then they take him to a grave. And the grave is a real grave because they put him there. And then they roll a stone across that grave. We know that Jesus is dead, like really, really dead. We know that he's dead because we know that he was there because there are actually eyewitnesses that know that he's dead and know where he's at. So there's this guy named Joseph Arimathea. He write, he, he, he's the one who buys the grave. And so Joseph, at least, knows where the grave is. We know that there are Roman officials that know where the grave is because they are asked to guard the grave. So not just the but also Joseph of Arimathea, but we also know that there are disciples and Mary and other women who know exactly where Jesus was laid when he died because he really died on the cross and we just know he's there and, it's, and, the, and the stone is rolled too. We know all that, but we also know that after really logical, like left-brained humans, after these people looked at dead Jesus and then said that's a grave in which a dead man was, that something happened after that. The scriptures tell us that he appears and that when Jesus appears, he's talking and acting a whole lot, a whole lot like he was acting before he was dead, wrapped, stuffed, and rolled, right? He was, he's acting very similar like a man named Jesus would act. It says that he would talk in words and syllables that they would be able to understand. And there was a correspondence between one, two, a few, the disciples, and a crowd. And so all of this was able to be exchanged among real people, like post-death, wrapped, sealed, kind of. And they're like, okay, I think that Jesus is talking to me. Jesus then tells them, to put their hands in, these, in the scars of his hands and to his side. Like, this is really Jesus. Jesus even asked for some fish. He's eating with them. And so all this is proof that, that Jesus really did die. 
We all knew where the stone and where the grave was. And yet these eyewitnesses say that the guy who they saw dead and buried is now talking with us. So much so that even his greatest critics, Jesus would walk alongside a guy named Paul who hated Jesus, who hated the church. And with one appearance of Jesus, being able to have one conversation with Jesus, he was immediately converted And so the greatest critic of all history became one of the greatest spokesmen for Jesus, the risen one. So much so that these men and these women who were fearful and scared and hiding behind closed doors because they did not know where it was going to end. These men who were, were just afraid to show their face in public, they became one of the strongest, most bold men of the, of the New Testament. So much so that the resurrection of Jesus has changed our worship. These men and these women and these communities who were fully Jewish now move away from worshiping on the Sabbath, the last day of the week, to changing their entire worship structure to now worship on the first day of the week. Everything has changed in their preaching and in their teaching all throughout the New Testament. There's one thing in common, the resurrection of Jesus and that there's eyewitnesses being able to refute that and still they continue to say it is true. Not only that, but communion. The very centerpiece of our worship through giving and preaching of the word and communion and baptism, the entire thing changed. So how much can, how is that possible unless he has not risen from the dead? How is all of that possible if he was just another dead man in history? The scriptures tell us that Jesus sits down at the right hand of the Father, that he has complete victory over sin and death. There is closure. He walks into a room with his disciples, and there's this man, and I'm wondering if there's a man or a woman in here like this this morning. They called him Doubting Thomas. He just wanted some proof. And he says, I'm not going to believe that Jesus rose until I'm able to actually touch his wounds and hear his voice. And what Jesus does is truly remarkable. He shows himself to Thomas. He says, come close. I actually want you to touch me. So he lifts up his shirt, shows the, the wound, rolls up his sleeves, and he shows him the wounds. He says, I want you to touch it. I want you to touch my wounds. Here's what's remarkable. There's a couple of things going on for you and me this morning. Number one is that maybe we're Thomas and we just have a hard time believing. We just, we need to know a little bit more. Or maybe, just maybe, you think that you have done something so terrible and so raunchy that God would never, ever, ever accept you. Maybe, It's not just your own sin that you're hanging up. But the real reason you're mad at God and you're truly, you're fighting and cursing and kicking and you're truly rejecting Jesus is because of the wounds that other people did to you. Maybe you hate God for allowing that thing to happen and there'd be no way that you could worship a God that would allow that. And so truly your pain and your scars are, are, is creating a distance between you and God. I would beg of you this morning to look at Jesus who showed himself to Thomas and he said, Thomas, come close. 
I want you to touch these scars. You see, these are wounds that other men have done to me. This is proof that I have been sinned against. And I carry these scars, and this is what's interesting. I'm carrying these scars even in my resurrected body. Jesus is making all things new, including the scars that continue to haunt you and you carry with you. He will perfect you, but he will also bring purpose to the greatest wounds of your life. Jesus says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came to save sinners. He came for those with a past. He came for those with scars. He came for those who are wounded. He came for those who are guilty. He came for those who are shamed. He came for those who are, who are just known to curse and spit and kick and all those things. It's okay. He knew who, what he was getting himself into. Because he is the one who was hanging on the cross. And he is the one who's saying, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. He's the one who says, forgive them. He doesn't, what you have done in your past is not a barrier for him. It may be a barrier for you, but not for him. He comes along and he says, I have come to give you forgiveness of sin. Verse 17. Verse 17. I will remember your sins no more. There is forgiveness of sins. Do you believe this? Do you believe that your sins can be forgiven? Do you believe this? Do you believe that you have sin? And God can forgive that sin. Do you believe that Jesus is willing and able to forgive you that sin? He is so powerful and so strong that he can raise a dead man. He is so strong and he is so powerful. He can wipe away your sins and give you a brand new life. John 11 says that I have come and I am the resurrection and I am the life, he says. I'm coming to offer you life. I am the way and the truth and the life, Jesus says. I have come that you may have life and life to the full. This is what he's trying to offer you. So when you are in these moments of pain, you need to come back and rest on the fact that do you believe that Jesus can forgive you of your sins? No matter what. That he's powerful enough and he's willing enough that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So how do we respond this morning? I want you to know that we all respond in some way. There's no way that you can look at our sins and what we do repeatedly to try to cover up those sins that will not work, to look at Jesus and his sacrifice for us, that he's actually seated on the right hand of the Father. He has conquered sin and death. There's no way that you can kind of shrug under that kind of message. And so you either accept or you reject that message. I want you to think about how you are going to respond. Easter is not about a few historical questions and a few historical facts. Easter is not about putting on your Sunday best and showing up in a service like this. Easter is a conversation that you have to have with God. How are you going to respond today? There will be a day when you are standing in front of a holy God. 
in verse 11, it tells us that there will be enemies of Jesus. An enemy of Jesus is someone who rests in his own or her own way, not Jesus's. To try to cover their own sin, their own way, and not Jesus. But there will be a day when we all stand in front of a, a holy God. And some of us will not be ready for that moment. And that's what happens when we do not believe in Jesus. Chapter 22 says that we are to draw near in faith. To draw near in belief. That I will not trust in my own security. I'll trust in Jesus from this day on. And so we want as a staff and as a pastoral team and as ministry team leaders and of all the people who've put this place together, we want to beg of you and plead with you to ask, how are you going to respond to Jesus this morning? Do not put your faith in something as silly as yourself, thinking that you can master your own universe or that you are the master of your ship. The proof is that tonight you're going to have to need some rest. You're not even sustainable through more than two or three days without sleep. The same thing with water or food. How can you be raised from the dead or how can you erase your sin? Only Jesus can do that. And so we beg of you, beg of you to consider Jesus this morning. What you need this morning is not more good advice or good counsel. What you need this morning is a savior. And so we are asking you to respond this morning. Respond in faith. Respond in faith that Jesus, Jesus is my king and he is my savior and I need him. There's a couple of ways that you're gonna respond this morning. Number one, if you are far from Jesus, we would encourage you to respond in faith. We've got some men and we've got some women in the back. We've got a hub back there. and So there's going to be some men and women back there that are willing um, to have a conversation with you. They've been praying for you. They're encouraged by you. They love you. They love God and they love Jesus. And they just want to spend some time with you and pray with you. If you would like to have that conversation, just know that there's men and women in the back that are waiting for you. The second way to, um, to respond is this, this is Easter Sunday. And um, some of you um, may want to respond in being baptized. Some of you have never been baptized before. And so today you're looking at this death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And maybe some of you want to respond in baptize, baptism. That's great. That's amazing. Now, I know you're wearing something, you know, you don't want to get baptized in, right? We get it. And so we came prepared. We've got clothes. We've got dark shirts and shorts. We have an abundance of towels back there. If you want to be baptized this morning, again, use the team. Ask some questions. Make this the day where you start obeying God and obey Christ in baptism. This is a day for you to respond, for you to have a conversation with Jesus. Let's pray. So in the quietness of this moment, maybe you are the one who are saying, maybe today is a day that I need to reach out to Jesus and call upon him to be Savior and Lord. That I need to surrender my life to Jesus. 
Maybe some of you are truly feeling the stirring of God's heart right now, right now, feeling that God is pulling you toward himself. Don't let this moment, do not let this pass by. The scriptures say today is the day of salvation. Place your faith in Jesus this morning. We're all in here and we're praying. We've got our eyes closed and to make it as easy as possible. If you would like to have a conversation about what it means to place your faith in Jesus, we would encourage you to leave your seat right now and go to the back in the privacy of this moment with us all kind of praying and praying for you. If you feel the stirring in your heart that you want to respond in faith, we would encourage you right now to go to the back and begin a relationship with Jesus. I don't want to trust in myself anymore, Jesus. I want to trust in you alone. Maybe there's some in here that want to surrender in baptism. That Jesus was buried and died for me. So again, if you want to throw yourself into the waters and throw yourself into obedience to Jesus, let today be the day in which you take that important step of faith and starting that step of obedience this morning. Father, as people are responding in their own hearts, grappling with a holy and the right God, I pray that Jesus says, the scriptures tell us that you are drawing men to yourself, that you are drawing women to yourself, that you are drawing teenagers and middle schoolers to themselves, that they are placing their faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. God, I pray for a sacred moment like this, that we would not let it pass by. And it's in your name we pray, amen. I'm gonna go ahead and have us stand because... We don't just respond as individuals, but we respond corporately as well. We respond in faith, stepping toward the, the, the table of, of communion. Every week uh, here at Redstone, we look at the importance of this table. And this is the gospel in pictorial form. That Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, that he took a piece of bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body given for you. If you believe in Jesus this morning, if he is your sustenance, if he is your bread, if he is going to give you life, we would encourage you to come and in faith have um, take of this, of this Lord's Supper. In the same way, he took a glass of wine and he poured it out. And he says, this is the blood of the new covenant, a covenant that will offer forgiveness of sins and it is poured out for you. And so in this given body and this poured out blood, Jesus in pictorial form is saying, I've given my life so that you can freely worship. There's, there are these stations all around the room. I'll be up front uh, serving communion up here, but these guys are here to serve you communion this morning. So if you're a believer in Jesus, come and partake. And again, if you are feeling a stirring of your heart that you want to give your life to Jesus, just know that we'll have our team stay at those tables for the remainder of our communion service. And so partake whenever you feel free.